Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new episode of Audio Signals. Get ready to take a journey into the known, the unknown, and everything in between. Recorded at no specific point in time nor space, ITSP Magazine's co-founders Marco Cipelli and Sean Martin follow their passion and curiosity as they venture away from the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society to discover new stories worth being told. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. The story without the end, Marco, is not a very good story. Or maybe it is. Well, how's, how's the weather? How's the weather, Sean? You'll have to listen to another episode to hear about the weather. <laughs> well, it is connected. There's a certain type of uh, environment. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm, man. I'm leaving it mysterious, is... so, so people will listen to it. We'll, we'll include a link to the other conversation. Oh, for sure, for sure. Actually, I, I'm probably going to start with that. So, but let, let's start from the beginning. It's always nice and fun to have somebody that we already had the pleasure to have on the show. In this case, is Karen Eber, and uh, it was for a specific event which just passed not too long ago. But we had so much fun because we love stories that we ask you to come back. So, Karen, welcome to the show. Again. Thank you. Happy to be back again. It's always fun talking to both of you. Well, yeah, likewise. we're, we're well, one delighted. Of you, anyway. One of you. Everybody's cool on this show, except for me, you know. <laughs> I need to, I, you know what? I need That's to come up with better stories. I need to come right. up with better stories. That's what it That's is. Right. So you could both build on a story together, you know, like an improv. You one of you starts a sentence, the other one picks it up. Perfect. Well, we, we I can, can finish it. your book for you, Marco. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, I can't remember. It's a dark night in Florence or something like that. Something like that. that. I don't know. I'm a, I'm I'm actually having chat uh, GPT finish. Oh, the book there you go. <laughs> You just, you Done. Why you put the query in be, before you go to bed each night, and the chapter comes up. I why, use ChatGPT to get ideas for the cover of my book, and oh. it said, um, "It said a fire, like a fire pit, and um, a compass, and all these really terrible suggestions." I use none of them, but <laughs> it was most disappointing. I was hoping it would come up with something really unique. It did not whatsoever. Maybe we sh you should have uh, played with uh, Mid Journey instead of uh, instead of Chat GPT. Maybe that it's a little bit more visual. You try that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I did Still end up not? with a visual concept, but I wanted to see what it came up with. What it did tell me is what everyone else did, like conversation bubble and microphone and mm -hmm. all of these things that I didn't want. So it was good for that research, but not for creativity. But you're right. Uh, using gonna... a more visual platform would have been better. Uh, I'm going to break a news for you. ChatGPT, just tell you what we already know. It's not right. coming up with new stuff. No, for sure. I wanted to see how um, 
common the different titles that are on storytelling were out there but also then see what was uncommon it did not give me anything uncommon shocker that's right shocker oh wow it's a it's a a theory that i have that as technology advances uh we become less advanced (laughs) as a society and and end up at a low common denominator of blahness um where everything has been said is reset and re re uh, re experienced in a similar way, over and over and over. So, what you both just said kind of reinforced my theory here. We'll see. Hopefully, we don't end up there. Hopefully, something happens in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm thinking this episode is going to be all about the opposite of that, maybe, and how we as human need to keep telling stories because uh, let's face it, we're good at that. So how about we start from the beginning, which is not a stormy night, again, <laughs> see prior episode. Or, or it is not once Sunday. upon a time. It's not it's once not upon a time, but it's uh, about our guests. So for people that haven't listened to the first episode, how about an introduction about who you are? And then uh, the book that we are actually talking about today, The Perfect Story. Yeah. So thank you again for having me. I am Karen Eber, and I am the CEO and Chief Storyteller of this company, Eber Leadership Group, that builds leaders, teams, and culture one story at a time. And I've had this 20-odd-year career in Fortune 500 companies like GE and Deloitte as a head of culture and head of learning development, and on my own as a consultant and a keynote speaker, um, always working in this place of how do we make work better. And I found so often in my corporate roles, I was continually trying to convince people to make these technology adoptions or take on a different idea or project. And very few people could say yes. And so many people could say no. And when I use stories, it would slow down the nose and it would get those people that would possibly say no to influence the decision makers. And So I started to get a lot of questions of how are you doing this? How are you telling stories and have really dug into not just how to tell stories, but the science of storytelling to evolve the conversation because neuroscience has evolved so much in the past few years that we can understand what's happening in the brain and leverage that in the way we tell our stories to make them the most engaged. And that's what the heart of my book is about. It's called The Perfect Story, How to Tell Stories that Inform, Influence, and Inspire. It's a little bit of a pun because there is no such thing as a perfect story laying around. You know, we take these ideas and we make them perfect. And so it takes you through the science and what to do about it. Um, but then it takes you through how do you then find ideas and tailor them to your audience and build it and avoid manipulating and tell stories with data and navigate the vulnerability of storytelling. And a super cool piece of this is that the end of each chapter has this mini vignette from different storytellers, because I think that when you hear different people, you get your own ideas. So I talked to an executive producer at The Moth and a co-founder of Sundance Institute and TED Radio Hour podcast host and a former creative director at Pixar, a neuroscientist, a physician, someone that tells stories, writes stories for video games. And so at the end of each chapter, you get this little vignette of that person's approach and what they do, which is super fun too. So I want to start at, I mean, I don't want to. I want to go straight into how, because that's how my brain works. 
Um, but I want to go further, further upstream and, and talk about uh, the, the, the starting point for this journey for telling or creating, and maybe not, I don't know if it's creating or telling or both, <laughs> the perfect story. Um, I mean, I can, I can look back uh, from, from my marketing experience and, and realize that there are a lot of, there's a lot of content that exists, kind of to our point earlier, that people will use. Um, and oftentimes it'll be somebody responsible for it and then it's reviewed by others. So more redlined than collaborative. So I, I, I'm just going to throw those couple things out there. Tell, tell us about, perhaps even rooted in the book, tell us about how someone or some entity gets started with telling the perfect story. So you have to understand the science because really the perfect story is grounded in science. And so I say that carefully because there's a lot of people that hear science and they're like, I do not want to sit through science class. So uh, I don't do it in a sciencey way. But when you understand what's happening in the brain, you then can build on that in a story. So as I looked at the different research out there, I put together what I call the five factory settings of the brain. And this is what your brain's going to do when you're listening to information and communications and how you can leverage it when you're telling a story. So first one, for example, is your brain is lazy. The number one goal of the brain is to get you through the day alive and it never wants to go bankrupt of calories. So your brain uses the most calories out of any organ in your body. And it does so making predictions, not just like scanning the environment for am I in danger, but how do I move my body if I'm standing up from a chair? And so your brain is constantly predicting all of these different movements and choices and decisions because the faster it predicts, the faster it can save calories. So number one goal can't go bankrupt of calories. That would be really bad. So it's always looking for these moments where when can it kind of dip out and relax and save some calories, which is what we see all the time in meetings or in the story that's been told a million times or the person that puts up the PowerPoint deck with 10.5 font and 47 rows, like your brain just pieces out in that. And what that means when you're telling a story is how do you put in specific details or unexpected events so it forces the brain to spend calories? How are you mindful of the fact of the brain is going to be fighting this and, you know, want to go watch cat videos and make sure that you're putting in things that don't. So I have different things like that, that once you start to understand those things, when you are building a story, you can think, okay, have I made the brain spend calories? Have I put in really specific details that engage the senses? Have I done these things? And so we can go through all five if you're interested, but a great story starts with understanding some of those pieces so that as you're building it, you can go back and think like, have I done those things? Um, so if you think about too much, um, on the theory, don't you risk to lose your creativity, your kind of instinct? Because I feel like we are, and, and there's a thing to say about science. If you look at it, science is not inventing who we are. It's just discovering who we are. So I can see how science can say, well, this works because of this, which is already working. It's not making it work. So I like the idea. But if you think about it, don't you feel like then you're constrict? into creating something that is perfect, air quote, but it's not spontaneous. 
perfect is perfect for your audience and that time you're telling it. There's not a like, oh, I've perfected this story. It's amazing. It's what whomever you're telling it to that time. What I'm trying to do is give some support in guardrails so that people can get started versus those that feel just overwhelmed and don't have any idea where to start or lose people along the way. So it's not heavy handed in the science. It's more, um, you know, you can you can play music straight without understanding music theory or having, you know, what the different markings mean for the loudness or the way you play it. And it's fine. But if you understand the music theory and what you're supposed to do and what can happen in it, the piece becomes that much more expressive and people connect with it that much better. And so to me, this is that. How do you understand the different things so you can play with it to do what feels right for your situation? That was such a good answer. Thank you. <laughs> that was a perfect answer. No, I think the, um, I love that analogy and I, I want to kind of go back to the calorie thing. And I don't know if you're, if it's literally calories, literally <laughs> calories. Okay. Yeah. Literally calories. Cause yeah. So your brain is using, um, 20% of your body's entire calories. Interesting. All right. So, so if you're well nourished, well rested, that could perhaps, uh, change the way you perceive a story or no. Well, I do think rested has a big piece of it, right? So think about those nights that you come home from a day of work and you just think like, I don't want to think. I want to put on whatever my favorite show is and I want to binge it because everything else just feels too hard mentally. I've had a day. I've had a week. I'm exhausted. I don't want to think, right? That's your brain saying, please don't put on the twisted, complicated thriller that I have to really think and focus and guess what's happening or whatever your version of that is. That's the like put on the office for the 47th time because it feels comfortable and familiar and I just need that right now. And so it's this constant, you know, where are you wanting to go and what do you need? And with storytelling, you kind of get to sneak in those moments so that you catch that attention and make people do it. Yeah. And so, so now bringing it back to the music, if someone's in a, a certain, certain state of mind or frame of mind, they might choose to pick a certain genre of music or a certain style of music to change that or reinforce <laughs> that, that state of mind. Um, is it true? And so music clearly is a story uh, in itself, but are there, are there ways to take quote unquote a story and, and recreate it in different formats, different styles, perhaps same message, same expected or desired outcome at the end, perhaps, um, but changing the way that it's presented and told different styles, different formats, different mediums. Yeah, 100%. So this is one of five of the factory settings. Another one is that um, we are primarily driven to seek pleasure and avoid pain, meaning that our bodies will release the adrenaline, the cortisol to help narrow our focus, to get us out of difficult situations, avoid pain, prepare us to avoid danger. And we have the cocktail of the oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine that are those feel good things. And so when you you want to listen to a great piece of music and you get goosebumps. That's all the pleasure chemicals. And when you are watching a movie and you feel your heart racing, that's the, the 
avoid danger or avoid pain. So what that means with a story is you have a choice. Are you trying to tell a story that intentionally makes people feel uncomfortable that you're moving through? Charities do that. Every time I saw the camera panning over the trembling puppies and kittens while Sarah McLaughlin plays, like that's uncomfortable on purpose. Um, I tell a story in the opening part of my TED talk about a phone dropping down an elevator shaft. Like that's uncomfortable on purpose. Sometimes you want to tell feel good. Like you can, you can play with different things depending on what you're trying to do for your audience. So that's another one that can help influence the outcome. It's really cool. Um, so when you talk about stories, do you talk about every possible story, meaning there is one thread that is, this is the rule that applies to any kind of stories that you want to say, meaning, is it a story for a kid? Is it a story, a bedtime story? Is it a story to tell some scientific knowledge, like, you know, scientific educators, their storyteller? a politician, or maybe he's actually a sales pitch <laughs> during the meeting for for work. So is that like a, th a common thread? All these tips that you have in this book applies to all of them, or some are more for creative versus different goal and meaning? No, it does apply. The difference is you go through a process to figure out who is your audience and what's the outcome that you want. So for a politician, it's to get votes or to get support or to get donations. For a charity, it's to build awareness and to get whatever. Um, for sales, sometimes it's the aspiration, the I'll have what she's having. For the bedtime story, it's the go to bed, please. And so whatever the goal is, you get clear on that and that becomes part of your process. So the steps are the same, what you do with them and how you shape your story differs. I don't believe in here are the four types of stories you have to tell because it's just as fake and insincere. Um, you know, not every story is the hero's journey because we sure learn a lot by not being heroes, we learn from mistakes and awkward moments. Um, you know, you'll often hear the, the where are you going story or the why you can't stay here story. I had a CEO that when COVID first happened, his company was in the office every day. And then all of a sudden they're virtual. And you know, the first set of communications are logistics and making sure everyone has information they need and connectivity while they're working virtually. But then he realized he needed to communicate with them and people were afraid. Nobody knew in 2020 what was happening, how long would the company survive? Would they have jobs? And the, where are we going story? Like it, no one knows you can't use that. What he needed to do is figure out how do I tell a story that forms trust or navigating uncertainty? And so what I've tried to do is create an approach that you can use in different settings versus forcing you to back into one format that may or may not be relevant. So I, I love that you, you used music earlier. So I'm wondering, do stories have, Marco, you, you often describe this as kind of the, the Disney model where there's the good person and the villain and there, there's a, a kind of a set structure of how a story will go regardless of if it's a mermaid or, or a genie right? or a, uh, or an ogre. Um, do stories have components like music to, 
does in terms of like crescendos and uh, and riffs and where things might repeat or, or choruses or and I don't know all the all the terms now, but the, the different notes and components that that make them use. Do, do stories have those elements as well? And, and do you do you look at it that way, or does it just happen to have them and we don't really recognize that as humans? No, they do. There's really three big components that stories have. First is there's characters. There are usually people involved that have some reason to be there. Um, second and most important is there's conflict. There is tension. There is something to be resolved. It could be between the characters. It could be between the character and some foreign body like a job. It could be between the character and themselves, something that they need to reconcile. But there's something that is happening, there's tension that has to be resolved. And this is the gas for the story because as soon as you run out of conflict, you run out of story. And then the third is connection. And that is that with both of these characters and these conflict, we wanna be able to see, hear, feel like we're there in that story. We wanna be able to connect with it and understand why the characters are doing what they're doing, even if we don't agree with them or like them. And so those are the three major elements and they're broad because there's a lot of different things you can do with them and play with them. And this is where there's different dynamics in music that you can use. There's so many different dynamics you can use here, but that's the, the heart of it. You get those pieces and then you get to play and see what makes sense. So I'm going to stick with Disney. Can everybody cook? <laughs> Can everybody cook? Re well, referring to Ratatouille, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so can everybody be a good storyteller? Or there are, some people just don't go there because, like, I'm not good at it. And some other are just naturally storytellers. So I don't know how the brain works on, on, on that side, not just for the people that listen, but for the people that tell the story. I'm wondering if in your research you found some of these elements. What makes somebody a good storyteller? Is somebody that is extrovert, somebody that has been reading a lot, or somebody with a lot of imagination? I mean, that's my assumption, of course. So can everybody cook? Everybody can cook if they want to. Um, it's not limited to extroverts. In fact, storytelling is actually really quite powerful for introverts because you are often, um, I say you, I'm an introvert, you're often noticing details that others are not. Um, there's research that says introverts speak fewer words and they're very intentional about what they choose. And so harnessing that in a story makes those words extend and have greater impact. So it's not like you have to be this composite to be a storyteller. What I find is that there are a lot of people that say, I can't tell a story. They see mm -hmm. a comedian on stage, tell a story and they think, Oh my gosh, it's so effortless. Or they watch Ted talks and they think like, I can't do that. And what they don't realize is very few people do that dynamically without any practice. Just like very few people pick up an instrument for the first time and make a sound without any practice. It looks effortless, but it's a skill and it's a compounding skill that you can, can get better at. And this is where I find when you explain what's happening and how to use it, then people realize like, oh, I get it. This isn't just a soft skill thing. Like there's ways to do this and steps I can take that make me better. What I find whenever people say, oh, I can't tell stories, I don't tell stories, is I will find a moment that they've told a story with their friends at dinner and they realize like, oh, yeah, we're doing this. I, yes, of course I tell stories, 
But for some reason, when we try to translate that to professional lives, it feels different. And it shouldn't. What you do with your friends isn't different from what you need to do in a professional setting. It's just helping people learn what they're probably already doing and not recognizing it and give them a process to feel better about it. And how about uh, situations like this uh, where the three of us are together and there's a, it's lazy, as you pointed out in the beginning, but there's a lot in, in this noggin for me. Um, but I'm less, I'm an introvert like you, so I'm less comfortable telling a story directly. I'm much more comfortable having a conversation and pulling a story together with others like we're doing here. Um, do you find that that's uh, the, the, the setting and the situation um, perhaps can help change or enhance the, the story to become more perfect and or enhance the, uh, the reception of it on the other end? I would say that there's a vulnerability with storytelling and it increases when we're doing it outside of our friends and family, right? You will tell the story with your friends and family with everybody laughing and not thinking about how many times you put in an um or an ah, or if you rambled a little bit, you just tell it because you're so focused on the story and sharing whatever happened, but we tend to get a little more uncomfortable in other settings. And that is a part of storytelling. When I work with especially leaders, they'll be very hesitant to use the story because they're afraid, like, I don't want to share anything personal, which I want to come back to that. Um, but I find an opportunity for them to tell a story. And as soon as they do and they see the response, they realize like, oh, I get it. I want to do it. And so whenever people say I feel uncomfortable, understood, that is a true feeling. We all have it. This is why I find if, if you can work a process and you can have confidence, like, well, I've done the steps to get here. So now I just have to do it. Um, I, I do want to come back to the personal though, because I get very often, I don't want to tell a personal story and every story is personal. Even if you're telling someone else's story, because the personal piece is why are you telling it? What perspective are you bringing to this and what connections are you making? And I think once you recognize that of, oh, this doesn't have to be about, I don't know, the, the time I fell on stage at graduation, this can be about me sharing a perspective about something that I learned. And then I bring the personal aspect to that. I think that helps lower some of that defensiveness too for people. Cool. Yeah, you see it, you see it all the time uh, in like keynote prayer conference presentations, where a lot of times the uh, the presenter will come on and say, "I just on the way here, I just experienced." Or last night on the flight in, I uh, I had this situation happen to kind of make that personal connection, um, perhaps break well, the walls. Or down. did you? Or did exactly? <laughs> yeah. Well, look look at all the uh, all the uh, comedians, right? Are they are they real stories? Perhaps they are. But I think comedians are so relatable. good. Yeah, and they find these little moments, and then they. Mm. What mm. makes comedians <laughs> so relatable is they're finding this like silly small moment in life that we notice and don't pay much attention to, and then they mm. like put it in an unexpected way, so we find the humor in it, and that's the purest form of storytelling. I love listening to comedians and getting ideas from them all the time on how they structure it or what they put in that you were like, 
oh, I didn't see that coming. Every time they do that, you're like, oh, they made your brain spend some calories because it was ready to like just glide into lazy mode. And then you hit the speed bump of like, oh, wait. And so I'm such a fan of that. That's why when you watch stand-up comedy, you want a big pizza next to you or popcorn so you can replenish the, the calories. <laughs> you exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, let, let me, I mean, of course, this is one of those stories that can go forever. But as we start getting to the end, at least at this time, and then maybe we'll have you back. Let's make it. Let's, let's make it. That's, that's a good. It's a name of it, my character in the story. Make So let's make these more specific in terms of are we talking about telling a story verbally on a stage in front of people um, at a coffee shop with your friends? Or are we also talking about a story in terms of writing a story, uh, putting it on paper or on computer? Are we also telling about telling a story with a video, telling a story with music, telling a story with a photo. So are you focusing on the verbal delivery of the story or does apply to others? It applies to all. Uh, what I find is that some people prefer to develop their story in writing and that helps them think it through. Some people prefer to practice it verbally and that helps them think it through. So whatever your processing mode is do that um what happens is if you develop it in writing you have to think about how to tell it verbally so i develop my stories in writing it helps me think them through but what it is in writing isn't what the way i tell it live so every time i'm taking a story to the stage i have to think about how am i doing this and how do i explain this because it changes it's it's the same story but it changes if it's verbally you then have to think about how do i connect that in writing and so it can the process is the same but there is a bit of adjustment that can happen depending on how you're communicating it and if there's a visual aspect to it that's another piece too of when are you introducing that how are you introducing that but the approach um so there's these these five factory settings that ground you in what's happening in the brain and then the approach is figure out your audience, pick an idea for the opportunity that you have to tell a story, build the basic structure of your story, and then start to layer on the details and emotions and senses that pull back on these factory senses. And so it's meant to be simple and step by step so that if something isn't working, you can go back a step and replace it. Um, but you can use it in many different places. So one thing that keeps coming to mind for me and uh you have to listen to the other episode for tell, tell us a story jack for this point does a story have an end and if so do you need to have the end in mind when you're creating it and i mean just look at today's conversation it's based on loosely based on your book right that was kind of the driver for this conversation there's a lot in the book We're not telling that story word for word here. We're touching on parts of it and you're telling it in a different way. And so how do you know what to include, what to exclude? Is there an end? Do you need an end? Do you have to know the end in time uh, when you start? I don't know. There's a lot in there, but just some of the, some thoughts on that, that collection of things. 
It comes down to what you're telling the story for and what you want as an outcome. So I told a story in the opening of my TED talk about um, Maria who drops her phone down the elevator shaft. She's in the office for work. She's going to press the button for the elevator and the phone just falls out of her hand, bounces on the floor. And before she can get it, it just straight down. She has an eye watch on and realizes as it hits the floor that it's still miraculously working. And so she's in that moment of standing in the doors where they're closing on her. Like, what does she do? Because it wasn't just her phone. It was her badge. It was her driver's license. It was her keys. Like she literally can't go to her car. She can't go upstairs. So she ends up going to the front desk to see Ray, the security guard. And he is delighted when he sees her because everybody normally walks in and does like the, you know, two finger wave at him, but no one talks to him except Maria is this person that knows your last vacation and your favorite food. Like she's the person that stops and talks to you because she really cares. So she's telling him what happens and his smile is just going away because he says, you know, this is going to be super expensive. And she asked him to get a quote because what can she do? She either has to take the time to replace all of these things or she has to pay the 500 whatever dollars. She goes to her office because I happen to be crossing through the lobby. I take her to her office. She sits down. And a few minutes later, Ray calls her desk and says, I just checked the security um, certificate in the elevator. It's due for its annual inspection next month. I'm going to call it in today and you can get your phone back and we won't charge you anything because they'll have to go down to the basement to do that anyway. Amazing. Same day this happens, I'm reading an article in the New York Times about Walt Benninger, CEO of Charles Schwab, and he's describing his last exam of his university career, straight A, business major, going into that hall, you know, high-fiving his friends, getting ready to get a straight A. The professor tells them, turn over the paper that's at your desk. Everyone turns it over, and it's blank. And they're all looking around like, what's going on? And the professor says, I've taught you everything there is to know in business, except this one thing, which is the most important thing. What is the name of the person that cleans this room? And he didn't know. He had seen her. He hadn't met her. And he was so embarrassed. And he vowed in that moment to always know the person's name. Her name was Dottie. And he always swore he was going to know Dottie's. And so I tell the story. And then I talk about how great leaders really understand the power in helping people feel seen. I don't tell you the end of either story. I don't tell you what happened to Walt. I don't tell you what happened to Maria or what happens to her phone, but I'm able to segue into why I'm telling the story and what can happen. And that's all that's needed. Sometimes you need the end of the story to feel satisfied. Sometimes you don't, and you just want to go to where things are headed. So it really is more what you're telling the story for and what you want from it. The beauty, though, in not telling something is that one of the other factory settings is we make assumptions. So you're assuming she got her phone back. You're assuming that he, you know, did certain things on his path to being the CEO of Charles Schwab. Um, and that's part of what is really cool about storytelling is it's our own assumptions that give our experience of the story because we're comparing them to our own experiences. So part of what you want to do when you're telling a story is think about like, what assumptions can I lean into and what assumptions am I trying to prevent or slow down? And what is the message, right, of the story, which is right. my assumption in the case of the phone there is that somebody actually do care and is going to try to do something about it. Is it going to succeed? It, I don't right? know. 
I want to think, think it does, but somebody may think no. <laughs> the elevator well, goes go down and, your... crash the, and crash the phone. Yeah, sorry. If we go back to your <laughs> earlier question of can you take a story and have it mean something different? Yeah, what if we told that story through Dottie's perspective, the person that like through Ray and Dottie's perspective of Ray talking about how everyone walks past him and nobody talks to him and maybe how happy he is to see Maria or Dottie talking about how she's just like faceless and nameless. Nobody pays attention to her. Like you could still take the same story, but have tell it from a different perspective to get a different outcome too. Yeah, well, you can tell it backward. Like, you know, backward. Godzilla right. didn't destroy Tokyo, but he actually rebuilt it and then he went in the ocean. Like, you just tell it the opposite way. You could, sure. <laughs> uh, but, but you number went nine, very emotional. Number nine, number nine. <laughs> but, you know, you, but I think many examples you're giving are there, there is emotion. There is, there is kind of like, a, like some feelings that come. So, I can definitely see that into telling biography, personal story, fiction, kid's story with a moral at the end, and so everybody lived happily ever after. But if you're making a story for selling a product, unless you're selling happiness and health, um, when, when do you really not don't need that, right? I mean, if you're going into sale and marketing, pure marketing are there moments that you maybe occasion that you don't need to get emotional or you think emotional is always an ingredient emotions i don't qualify what i did as emotional i mean i do think it engages to emotion because we hear we feel the shame that walt feels and you know some of maria's frustration the pain um, yeah yeah, to me, it's it's me making the story personal. I wasn't Walt or Maria, but I can connect you to what that would feel like through the way I do it. I think that in business setting, even in sales, people are most often not buying the product or the service. They're buying something more, right? You're buying a aspiration of who you want to be or something like that. And so there is often emotion in that. It doesn't have to be... Um, manipulative emotion it shouldn't be manipulative emotion but i do think some of this is connecting people to what is it that you want or they want and why and at the root of that is emotion even if that emotion is apathy or frustration or whatever that you know i hear a lot because i do a lot of work with leaders i hear a lot of like oh we want to leave emotion at the door Okay, but work isn't devoid of emotion. We've all had frustration or exhaustion or pick a word that happens in a work setting. And so it's okay to connect people to that because often that's how you can move them forward. So I want to go back a little bit to one of the first things I mentioned, which is where my brain goes, which is the, the what, how something does what it does. And when we look at um, businesses, and this may come come into play in, in personal where people are trying to get other people to do things as well, but certainly when, when businesses are trying to create a product or service and present that to the market, um, my experience is they immediately jump to the here is what we do and completely miss the mark on the why and, and some of the, the story surrounding the what they do to make it really matter to whomever it should matter to. So 
that's my perspective. In your experience, what are some of the things you, you find that organizations and, and individuals kind of miss the mark on, perhaps, um, because of just the way they think or, or whatever? Yeah, two come to mind, um, and I'm going to say them because I'm going to forget so you can remind me. One is that we tell the story that we want to tell and not the story that is what the audience wants, and I have an example of that. Um, and the other, I've already forgotten, so let's tell the first story. <laughs> um, so I have a friend who's a keynote speaker. <clears throat> Her name's Jennifer and she was getting a new sizzle reel, which is, you know, two, three minute preview of this person speaking so that anyone that is interested in hiring them as a keynote speaker gets an idea of who they are on stage. And these are fairly common where you see some clips of them on stage. Um, hers, Jennifer started with her uh, hiking upstairs and outside and rowing in a river. So you get to see a little bit of her personally while there's a voiceover about her. And then you get into clips of her on stage and clips of her on media and the voiceover is explaining what she talks about. And as it comes to that critical point where the person watching it should think like, I want to hire her. She messed it up. Because if you think about like a movie trailer, you get to the end, you want to be thinking, I want to see this movie. I want to buy a ticket. Well, right at that moment, the person watching the movie should be thinking, I can see the value she's going to bring for my audience. I can see how she's going to interact with our people, what it's going to be. And instead of staying on those images, she goes back to like these images of playing with her dogs and, and centering on herself. And it was the wrong thing because your audience needs to see themselves and what they wanted. She needed to change it to focus on them and see her interacting with people and more speaking and, and it's a subtle thing that there's a shift where she pulled the audience out of it in the wrong moment because she centered on telling the story that was about her versus telling the story for the person that wants to buy it. That happens all the time. The other one I did remember is we talk a lot about what's your origin story. I don't feel like that's important. I feel like what's your why now story? Because whatever you started with five years ago, five minutes ago, things evolved so much that telling why you're doing it now is really important. You know, if Amazon was telling their origin story, they'd be talking about shipping books all over and that's not who they are anymore. And so I think that people put so much emphasis on that, but why now and what you're trying to do now is more important for people, but done through the lens of the person that is interested in buying it. Well, with that said, let's let's talk about your origin story for the book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I do want to talk. Uh, close with the book, though, because I mean, we—I'm sure we barely scratched the surface. And then, of course, you you do so much more beyond the book as well. The book is a great place for folks to start to better understand the science behind storytelling. Um, can you share with us a little bit about? who who this is for what you think they'll get out of it and and most importantly where they can find it yeah i'm assuming that the brand you just mentioned as well but. yeah so i started writing this because i kept getting these phone calls from people that were trying to prepare a 
story for a job interview or for a presentation or for a eulogy or a toast. And they just didn't know where to go. And so if you are new to storytelling or you're struggling with how you apply it in different situations, it's a great foundational piece because it's not only going to ground you in why, it's going to take you through what to do from constructing your story to actually telling it. If you are already a storyteller, but you don't know what you're doing, it's helpful because it's going to validate a lot of the things that you're doing and help you lean into them more. And if you're a great storyteller, there's some just interesting nuggets around what you're doing, how to do more of them. And then, of course, I think the interview vignettes are just so interesting to um, each one I read. I'm like, this one's my favorite. They're just great insights. So um, I feel like wherever you are in your journey, you'll get different things from it that will be helpful. It does cover the whole storytelling process, but does also get into storytelling for toasts and eulogies and um, job interviews. You can find it on my website, which is K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com slash books. And there's all the different links to where you buy books there. It's available everywhere that books are. It officially publishes October 3rd, 2023, but you can pre-order it now. Cool story. Cool story, bro, Sean. <laughs> well, as as I expected, it was fun. I I I ask really questions that I really wanted to hear your opinion on, and I think it was a fantastic conversation. I hope people listening got inspired and uh, maybe get more even excited to tell their next story, whatever that is. Maybe it's a story you tell to to the cashier at the supermarket. Maybe you tell it to your kids. Maybe you tell it to your team at work. It doesn't matter. I think the lesson here is we're always telling story, and we may as well tell it knowing that you know we, we know where the notes are, and then we just mix them up on the on the yes. keyboard. How about that, Sean? You yes. Go play something ready, now. Ready, ready for me to sing? Here it comes. Yes. There you go. Not, no. not gonna happen. <laughs> one episode, right. I, I open with a song. It's not gonna happen again. <laughs> well, maybe one day we will we will we'll write a, a song and that will there be our go. show. Yeah. But not today. Today is awesome. about the perfect story: how to tell a story that inform, influence, and inspire. And Karen, thank you so much for spending uh, 44 minutes with us. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Always a joy. Take care, everybody. Stay tuned. Subscribe. Be happy. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, and some even beyond that.